Hello, welcome to the Sacred Ancestry Podcast. I'm so excited for you to be listening today. I'm so excited to be blasting through your headphones, through your laptop, through your car, wherever you are. And today we have a special guest. He's been on the podcast before, one of my best friends, soul brother Bessie. And uh, Johnny, can you introduce yourself for the people that haven't heard the, the prior episodes and, and how you're doing? And, and we'll get into the topics here soon. Yeah, sure, man. Uh, yeah, my name is Johnny Bessie, as uh, Soul Brother Bessie, as Thomas has pointed out. Um, yeah, Thomas and I have been best friends since, I don't know, age of five, and uh, had a lot of many interesting journeys together and and uh, adventures and conversations. And uh, yeah, I'm an I'm a organic gardener, and I like to be in nature. That's what we do. <laughs> Nice, man. Nice. And, you know, uh, I think it was during yeah Thanksgiving, I came over to Washington to hang out with the family and, and everybody over there. And um, this story came up that I really just want to like talk about a little bit because it's so, uh, I don't know, it really hit me emotionally when my mom was talking about it. And it's like how we met. And, and, and we just moved into this, uh, you know, residential area, but it was pretty wooded out, out in the sticks kind of back then. And, uh, you know, I just had this sense as a little boy, when we moved in, I was like, mom, there's a boy at the end of the street and I want to play with him. Like, take me down there right now. And my mom looked at me kind of strangely and and said, okay, yeah, sure. Let's go down there. And, and I told her that house, that's the one that he lives there, I think. And so sure thing, we went up there and went up to your house and knocked on the door and, you know, asked if you could come out and play. And that was that, man. It was just like totally drawn, attracted to your friendship at a very young age. And it's a, it's a crazy thing. Yeah. I mean, it was, I, I'm a fairly introverted person until I get opened up, you know, more of a one-on-one kind of guy, but you know, it was completely out of the blue you know i've never experienced anything like that where someone's just like hello we're friends now i'm like all right cool and it's uh it just it was exactly it was like serendipitous where it's just like the door opened and there was my best friend and just kind of it tracked me down (laughs) that's so crazy man it's like we've had a past life together i've always thought that before that we're part of a soul group um oh for sure yeah. yeah I mean, I, everyone I talk to and I say, oh, yeah, you know, me and my – I'll be having really intense metaphysical conversations with people. And they're like, wow, this is blowing my mind. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, my, my buddy Thomas and I have been talking about this since we're about six. And they're, they're still looking at me like I'm crazy. Right, right. Oh, man. So I'm so excited for today because we're just going to be talking about some of my big passions and – uh, really wanted to get into like flow state and, and going outside and being in nature and how that affects our nervous system and, and breath work and all those types of things. And, and for me, flow state, I think one of the most common ways I get into it right now is, is personally is writing. Um, but really in the past for me, it's been like snowboarding, like snowboarding, a big face of powder, like big mountain riding is like for real flow state for me where I just totally lose all time. My body's just reacting to me and my snowboard. And there's, there's not even a thought or question. It's just like timelessness. And it's, you're like one with the universe, like snowboarding down this crazy face. Um, and I just want, really want to get your opinion on like, I know, you know, your, your days back at crystal and you've written some crazy shit. Right. And and yeah, I just want to hear like what your experience is with this this flow state and snowboarding. 
Well, I mean, I was addicted almost instantly. Not instantly, because most people that have tried snowboarding know that uh, the first day or two can be extremely difficult. I mean, you've never experienced pain like you have after you've gone snowboarding for the first time. You wake up the next day and you can't hardly move. But once you get over that hurdle and you get the basics down and you start being able to actually just just ride, just go and, and you don't have to think about it anymore. It's I've never met anyone who got into snowboarding that didn't express that instant flow state feeling. And I was hooked, man. Like you, like you said, I, after I uh, graduated high school, I, you know, went up to the mountains and uh, just got a job as a janitor at a ski resort. And cause I couldn't get enough of it. Nothing. There's nothing that feels like it. I mean, I've experienced flow state many times in different avenues of my life, but uh, skiing and snowboarding, I think is one of the most pure forms. Cause it's not like, it's occasionally that it happens. It's almost every single time that you're is up. Once you're going down the mountain, you just boom, you're in that zone and you just, it's complete meditation. You, it, it's so fast and it's so intense that you, you can't think you have to be in flow state in order to actually really achieve any progress. And so it's, it's, it's really unique in that aspect where everybody instantly that I've ever talked to and all the people I used to work with up at the mountain, all experience flow states when they snowboard or ski. Yeah, it's so crazy. And and that makes me think back to the skateboarding days. And, um, you know, we skated a lot back in high school and, and I feel like I hit flow state, but it would take hours and hours of skating and like getting into beast mode as I would call it. And just like feel fueling it with anger, right. To like get that flow state for one minute, but the snowboard that was like, easily just like you're saying man you just get in that flow state because honestly you have to like if you're not in flow state you're gonna hit a tree or fall down a crevice you know like a, a chute or a cliff or something right and uh yeah it's just uh god snowboarding flow state and and really i think part of it's being out in the mountains in hardcore weather is like one of my most favorite things in the world because it's so like you feel so minuscule and just like, like a snowflake out there. You're just blowing in the wind and there's just nothing you can do about nature and it's fury. It's, I love it. Yeah. I mean, that's, that was another thing I was going to say as well is that the mountains, just being in the mountains almost puts you in a flow state because there's so much energy up there, you know, and whether it's just the, the scale of everything puts you in kind of a solemn state, but then more importantly, I think the actual weather patterns are so intense up there with the cold and the snow and the wind. It's it's like every particle in the atmosphere is charged with that energy. It just kind of gets whipped up into this frenzy and it kind of like penetrates you a bit in a way that the only other thing that I think even comes close to that sort of energy is the ocean. You know, like we, it, there's just something about the mountains and the ocean that have such an intense energetic vibration that as soon as you're in that space, you just get charged up. I mean, at least for me, it's like almost like I'm plugged into a battery and I start charging up and I get, I just get pumped. And I think there's something about that that helps you get into those flow states more easily. Right. And, uh, that's, uh, really interesting. You mentioned the ocean because, you know, I've been reading a lot and, and I've seen a lot. I've heard a lot of podcasts talk about grounding or earthing and, and connecting to the earth in a way in our energy and our body. And and one of the biggest things that I've read about is is the negative ions that are coming off the ocean or moving water, especially. 
And I, and I felt the same way around like sitting next to a rushing river in the mountains in Montana, right? I've had that same feeling as the ocean of this just negative ion like spray just washing over me and cleansing me and, and, and just feeling so at peace with that water, with the, the negative ions is, is my belief what's doing that and, you know, reacting with our, you know, mind, body, energetic system. Oh yeah. I mean, a hundred percent. I, I recently just talked to a old coworker of mine. He was getting into grounding and just kind of discussing some of those philosophies and I had never really heard of it before, but instantly it triggered in my mind, my experiences with the ocean. Cause I, I grew up, you know, with my grandparents out of the ocean and uh, many times a year I go out there and I just, I have to get in the ocean. Every time I'm there, it just calls me. And every time I get in, i it's, I've never felt better in my entire life than when I'm in the ocean, you know, just the, not just the, the ionic energy of all of that massive pool of salt water, but you also just have all the kinetic energy of the ocean, just the waves and the storm cycles that move this massive body of water. And I mean, most cultures all across the globe talk about the energetic importance of water itself when you get something like the pacific ocean the largest body of water on the planet it's, it's undeniable i mean that's one of the, the one of the main ways that i stay sane because as you know i live in seattle you know a big fairly large metropolitan area and it gets hard man it gets hard with all of the traffic and the stress and everybody's you know kind of pent up and there's this vibration of stress and the thing that keeps me sane is a couple times a week, I'll just go into Puget Sound and just stand there and like watch the sunset, go up to about my, my neck, you know, just till my head's above the water and just stand there and absorb all of that energy. And it just instantly sets me back into that flow state where you just kind of lost looking at the mountains and the clouds. And, and then you, you get out and you feel like, you know, you, you can't explain it. It's not like energy drinks. It's like nothing can compare to that. It's a different type of energy. It's like this full, pure, powerful energy. Right. And it's almost like, uh, you know, I guess for me, like anytime I'm out in nature, outside in the mountains, uh, in the tropics, in Asia, like in Central America, like no matter where I'm at in the world, I feel like as long as I'm outside, there's this energy pouring into me. There's this just divine source outside in nature that just fills my cup up. And it's so interesting. The, the energetic response that my body has when I go outside, it's just an instant, like, ah, oh, okay. Everything's all right, man. Like it's okay. Just flip and go outside and just breathe and feel like just the earth underneath my feet. Like, I just love that feeling of going outside and, and, you know, that reminds me of, gosh, we were so crazy as teenagers. We'd go romping, as we called it, in the in the woods and, like, pouring rain. I mean, and, you know, for people that aren't familiar with Washington rain, you know, it's like sheets and sheets, like raining a couple inches a day, right? And we would just go run in the woods for six, eight hours. We'd go hike, like, 12 miles across crazy forests and lush ravines and just, like, just be lost in the woods for hours together. Like this is such, such a crazy thing we would do back then. Oh yeah. I mean, in t-shirts, tennis shoes, just not like soaking wet to the bone, but you just got that 
you have that energy kind of keeping you afloat that just kind of fills you up and you just you get into again you get into those flow states where you're running through the woods soaking wet in the elements and you forget you know you forget that you're a human being on this planet who has a job or has to go to school or any, all that stuff just falls away and it's almost like you're you're an animal again you're just in the elements in the moment in the okay i have to dodge around this you know in order to get up over there i have to avoid this devil's club and again for those that don't know the jungles of the pacific northwest are full of a plant called devil's club which is aptly named i mean very powerful sacred plant medicinal but i mean you've never seen worse thorns in your life i mean almost puts cactuses to shame and there's just jungles of it. So you, you got to be on your toes. You got to be paying attention. But it's not like you're thinking about it. You're just in the moment, just doing it, just being it, and just kind of going with the flow of that space. Oh, that's so powerful, man. Yeah, just just brings me back to those days of romping through the woods with you. It was so much fun. Just being dinosaurs, right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> and uh, gosh, that's so crazy. And and you know, recently I actually went to a, a live TED Talk event and it was so cool. It was so inspiring. And and somebody was talking about, I wish I could remember her name. Um, I'll try and find it and post it on the show notes. But uh the TED Talk was she was talking about our nervous system and the ability to actually heal our nervous system and that trauma, trauma and stress and PTSD and anxiety and all these things were really in her opinion, a injury to the nervous system and that things that would heal our nervous system were meditation, going outside, flow states, these kinds of things, you know, journaling. Um, and it was a really powerful talk that, you know, made me think twice about, yeah, this is really interesting. Like ingesting this energy in the outside world and nature and like, how does that heal you? Like what's actually happening in her talk was was really interesting. Yeah, I mean, that sounds incredibly powerful. And it's just, again, it's one of those things where you hear it and it just clicks. You're just like, oh, yeah, well, totally, that makes sense. Like, it's just so intuitive that it just has to be true. You know, it just makes so much sense because my experience corroborate that every single time. I mean, it there really is something to be said. And I it really started to hit home when I moved to Seattle because – you know, we grew up pretty far out there, you know, we weren't in the middle of nowhere, but we were on the cusp of the middle of nowhere. And, you know, I lived at Crystal Mountain for years, and that's pretty much the middle of nowhere. And then I spent the last 10 years living in Seattle, and I, I instantly could feel it. I mean, I started getting, I started developing anxiety problems. Uh, my blood pressure went up. I mean, 100%, I could just feel this constant stress and, and you're right. It, it's, it was a nervous system trauma. Like it was just, you know, physically I was fine. You know, I was eating all right. I, I work outside. I have a, I have a new landscaping. So I'm outside feeling that energy all the time, but the stress of driving through the city every day was still overwhelming my nervous system. And it still just got to the point where I was starting to shut down a little bit and it, it kind of was very eye-opening for me because I didn't catch it for years. It was took me years to finally realize it. And it, like once I finally realized that this nervous system trauma was, was just building and building, it was staggering. And that's kind of what started me down the practice of, of swimming every, every day that I could. 
because I, I did it one day because I hadn't done it in years and I used to do it all the time when we were kids. You know, we used to always go swimming in the cold and, you know, never knew who Wim Hof was. It was just, we thought it was fun. And uh, I just did, did it one day just, just to shake things up and I felt so good. I could just feel for the rest of the day, it was like, it's like I had done, you know, a five hour yoga session. Like I just felt buoyant and weightless the same sort of peace and calm you get when you you do intense yoga and so i just started doing that as much as i could and it became a practice and it just it's the reason why i can live in this place because uh it just keeps me it keeps me grounded and centered oh man that sounds so awesome sometimes i really do miss the ocean living here in montana and and I'm curious on like, if you have a routine with this cold water, like what, what kind of practice you're doing? Is there breath work? Like, what's that look like? Well, I started, you know, I started out just kind of just doing it, you know, just, just like we were kids, just kind of like, okay, it's cold out. I don't want to, but I know I feel better. So I just get in and I would splash around and, and then eventually I just start swimming around. I got I realized that most of it's psychological, you know, that cold shock is just, I mean, I know for some people it's slightly different. I'm extremely warm blooded. So I, I'm well insulated. I, I handle it really well. So I can just go swim around for quite some time. But, and it was around that time that I actually got introduced to Wim Hof and uh, it was kind of serendipitous where I was like, Oh, I'm already doing this. But, and then I found out about Wim Hof. And so I started, you know, playing around with the Wim Hof method a little bit. And so um, I've, I've fallen off of it a bit in the last couple of months. I still do the cold, you know, submersion, but I kind of fell off the practice for a while and I'm, I'm missing it. But for a while I was doing sort of a modified Wim Hof, you know, like 30 quick breaths, holding the last breath out as I'm kind of getting into the water. And then I would, uh, you know, swim around for a minute, just kind of play and be in that flow state and look for crabs and, and enjoy myself. And then towards the end, I would float. I would just do almost like an, like a isolation tank, float tank style float because it's so salty. And uh, I would just kind of float for a while, just listening to my breath kind of in and out and just kind of losing myself for a while. And then try to do that every day that I could. I mean, I w- it's hard to do sometimes because I was taking a ferry, you know, commuting from my old house in Paulsbo. And so I'd do it while waiting for the ferry, but then I'd get on the ferry and be soaking wet because, you know, me, I'm just kind of spontaneous, just not prepared, just after work, strip down to my skivvies and hop in the sound. But, um, but yeah, I mean, that's kind of the, the basics of it. But mostly I, tr- I try to keep it organic, you know, kind of more intuitive and just whatever spontaneous just sometimes i do breath work sometimes i do like tai chi sometimes i would do you know some some modified kung fu routine in the sand or sometimes i just walk in and stand there you know just whatever i'm feeling at the moment oh man that's so cool like really just listening to your body listening to your to your heart and just like this is what i need right now and this is what i'm going to do and like you know there's all these other you know, Wim Hof's out there in the world doing this, but this is what I'm going to do because this is what my body wants. Like that's, that's so powerful. Cause I, I truly believe our body is always talking to us and always telling us what it needs and, and what our mind needs and what our spiritual like essence needs. You know, it's always talking to us. It's always asking for, 
for that self-care piece. And I love that, man, just staying organic and staying true. It's like, it's so much easier than, than, you know, having this rigid routine of, of, you know, what a lot of people talk about sometimes. And, you know, I'm a firm believer in this, like just having an organic routine, you know, it's uh, really powerful. And yeah, I like the Wim Hof stuff for people that don't know, you know, that the breath work is really, you know, taking like deep breaths as deep as you can pretty quickly and, and not letting out like a full breath uh, about 30 times. So the idea is to, you know, get over oxygenated and, and um, with his research, with Wim's, you know, research and his foundation, it's really been showing that it really does clean your nervous system, cleans your blood, cleans your whole body out, really this extra oxygen. Um, and then you kind of hold that state. And, and like you said, Johnny, uh, going into cold water and, and breathing through that shock. Um, yeah, I was doing uh, ice baths last year a lot. And actually, when I was, you know, kind of, kind of sick a couple of years ago with, with my anxiety, um, and, and, you know, I was suffering really bad from like a low grade fever that was like six months, you know, I, I, my temperature would read like 99, like all the time. And it was, uh, I was hot, I was burning. Um, so these ice baths really helped me like regulate my body temperature. Yeah. I, um, it's, imp- it, it is, imp- it is important to have that as some sort of, uh, you know, people with rigid structures in the world, like what the Wim Hof method actually was very important for me, even though I, you know, I think it, you gotta have that balance of striving for, you know, these tried tested methods. Cause it did have a noticeable difference for me than like, I feel different when I do the Wim Hof method versus just going for a swim or, you know, doing other types of, of routines with the cold exposure. And so it's kind of nice to have it there, but yeah, like with everything, you can't get too rigid about anything or else you're inviting that stress back into your life. You know, you got to be flexible, you know, whatever way the wind's pulling you. You know, if you try to stand against that wind and, and you know, be too rigid about, no, this is my routine, even if your body's trying to tell you something different, then you're you're doing the exact opposite of what you're trying to do. You know, you're, you're inviting more stress and strain on your nervous system by fighting what it's trying to guide you down yeah it's so true and uh yeah some of the breath work that i've been working with lately is like a three-part breath and it's really interesting it's like a breathing into your belly breathing into your chest and then breathing into like your upper upper chest um and this three-part breath is really deep and then letting out uh, a nice breath and it's actually you know part of an ancient yoga breath um but it really feels like you get uh, into that Wim Hof kind of flow state, cold shock, like really quickly. Like you get into that oxygenated, uh, blissful state. I mean, within five, 10 breaths, you're already there, you know, and, and this practice is like 30, 40, 50 breaths. You just feel so freaking powerful. Like in just a few minutes, it's, it's, a. I love the three part breath. Uh, I've been using that a lot lately. Oh yeah, me too. I actually um, was introduced to that at our, you know, our, the community college South Puget Sound by where you, you know, you grew up. That uh, took a yoga class there once, you know, in high school. As I was having, you know, I me, mean, I had trouble with high schools, not big on the school system, and and so I, I you know, I dropped out and uh, finally ended up at the community college to get my GED, and 
I ended up taking a yoga class there. And I mean, to be honest, it saved my life like 100%. You know, I had a probably helped me lose weight when I was younger. You know, I struggled with my weight a lot and, and eat me with depression and, you know, all those typical kind of human struggles as you go through life as a young person. And, and, uh, the yoga class helped me a lot, but specifically that three part breath, because my yoga practice kind of fell off over the years. You know, I got into a serious, comfortable relationship and, you know, kind of started to gain some weight back a little bit and haven't been keeping up on my yoga practice. But to this day, I will always use that three part breath just when I'm having a, you know, I notice that I'm not breathing or, you know, I'm stressed out or, Whatever it is, unhappy, like you name it, you name it. You do a couple, literally the first two or three of a solid three-part breath uh, breath work. And it's like, it's better than getting stoned. I mean, it's like getting stoned without the cloudy anxiety or whatever else, you know. It's, it's, it's instantly like someone just took these weighted shoulder pads off of your back. And uh, it's, it's so important for a healthy lifestyle. Like I think more than anything else, I mean, getting outside is up there and it's almost probably more important, but I don't know. It could be argued that having at least, you know, nothing too fancy, nothing too rigid or structured, just deep breaths. And that three part breath system is just a good way to like remind you of how far in you should be taking the air, how long, you know, that it's just a good kind of mantra almost to, to set your your mind right for having a healthy breath system oh man yeah that reminds me of uh one of my favorite books i've ever read about you know health and and uh this topic is called super wellness by dr chan um and uh it's so crazy the way she explains uh you know our connection to life and the way she, you know, makes a hierarchy is like, okay, how long could you live without breath? And it's like, okay, well, like two minutes, right? Well, how long can you live without water? It's like, well, you know, 24 hours. Okay. Like how long can you live without food? And it's like, yeah, three, four days, maybe 10 days, um, whatever, not a big deal. And the way she explained it is like, that's the way we need to focus on life is our number one priority is breath. And our number two priority is water and number three is food. And, uh, you know, she's, she's a, you know, traditional Chinese medicine doctor and, and, uh, just fantastic book about super wellness. Uh, and when I read that, I was like, I really took that to heart. Like, yeah, breathing is probably the most important, like physiological factor in life is breath. Like we would die without breath. Like we have to focus on how we're breathing and that will completely change our mindset, our, our emotional state, you know, our state of being really and what we believe. It's like all connected to our breath. Oh yeah. I mean, I notice more and more as I get older that if I'm having stress or anxiety or depression, anger, you name it, if I just even remember to think about my breath, I'll notice that I'm holding my breath. Like I do it all the time. I just don't even think about it. Or if I'm not in that moment actively thinking about my breath, you know, I, it's so easy to fall back into these old patterns. And I notice a lot of people do this. Every time I talk to people about this, they, their eyes light up and they say, you know, you're right. I, I don't even think about it. 
and people end up holding their breath a lot. Like I hold my breath a lot all the time on accident. Just I'm not paying attention. I'm stressed. And that just that tension builds and builds and builds in your body. And then when you realize that you're not breathing properly and then you take a good, proper, deep breath, let it go, take one more. It just all of a sudden, it's like you walked through a door into an, a garden. It's like you were stuck in some, you know, tense, gray, industrial hellhole. And all of a sudden, you open a door and you're in Eden. You know, it's like literally can be that profound when you realize what your breath's doing and, and actually start using it properly. Right. And uh, your comment about a garden really um, piqued my interest because, you know, you're a master gardener, landscaper, you have your own business, you've been doing it for so long. And I'm curious on, on your thoughts on, um, you know, on colors, on smells of actually like being around a professionally tended garden and how that affects your, your, your nervous system and, and what that's like for people when you, you know, beautify their yard and things like that. Oh, it's, it's quite stunning how emotional, uh, my job is, you know, when you think about, I think the average person thinks about landscaping and it, it you know, I, they, it, people, I think it's different. They think it's different than construction, but they, it kind of falls into that category in a lot of people's mind where it's like kind of just a, a labor job, but people's emotional connection to their garden is so strong that, you know, part of what I do is almost therapy. And I've had many people that I worked with who couldn't, weren't good gardeners, not because they didn't know about plants. They were brilliant. They knew a lot about plants and ecosystems, but they didn't understand the psychology of you know, the average urban garden and what it meant to those people. And so they would be very rigid and say, no, no, this is what's best for the ecology. And, you know, there's wiggle room with that. And they don't, they didn't take into account the emotional impact that just literally, I've seen it a hundred times where if someone asks you to prune something and you prune it just a little off from their personal aesthetic, you know, it has a physical, it's like, it's like a physical blow to them. And so you really have to be not only in tune with plants, but you have to be in tune with people and their emotional connection to those plants. And most of these people don't know about plants. They don't really, you know, that's not their thing. They're not green thumbs. They couldn't, they wouldn't even be aware of this emotional connection themselves until you do something to their garden that you didn't communicate to them. And it's just, it's, dev it's devastating. And so, and then, and then of course, on the opposite end of that, you know, my favorite thing in my whole life right now is when I get an opportunity to, to, you know, someone gives me the trust to say, look, I don't know anything about plants, but this is, this is stressing me out. Like this, they use these words, like their garden stresses them out because it's overgrown and plants are, you know, gets into the brutal nature of kind of you know survival of the fittest and so these plants are growing into each other and clogging each other up and it gets stagnant and they start dying back and and of course nature's resilient that's what it does that's how it finds the best pattern but to those people that tension it just starts subconsciously invading their lives and they give you this trust to say just please fix this 
And then, you know, I come from a sculpture background. So like art has always been important to me. And if I can get in and, and turn that space while still maintaining the health of the plant and improving the soil and, but then open it up and turn it into more of a, an, a piece of art, like the homeowners come out and like literally they enter almost into a flow state. Like they just, I can, I can hear their breath, you know, deepen, they start taking deeper breaths. They relax. You can visibly see the weight off of their shoulders. And all of a sudden something that was causing them stress in their life is now a source of detox. They can come home from their stressful life and, and see these beautiful structures and healthy, vibrant living plants and, and, and something I'm trying to encourage more people to do is pay attention to smelts because we don't pay attention to that. Living in the city, it doesn't smell good and the air quality is bad. But if you can get that little whiff of a beautiful scent, you don't even know where it's come from. It's just like it's like this little like fairy whispering in your ear almost. Just kind of it's just a hint of a smell, and all of a sudden you're pulled out of whatever obsession you were dwelling on back into the moment you know it's almost like a doorway into a flow state because it just pulls you back into that moment and then now you're trying to find out oh my god what plant smells like this you know and it just it's it's a beautiful thing man but it's 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 hard to do it's hard to find that right connection where individual aesthetic perception and then trying to maintain healthy ecosystems it's it's a hard balance but it's rewarding certainly Wow, man, that is like so crazy that that landscaping really is this deep emotional therapy for people like subconscious subconsciously, like you're saying, like they don't even know how impacted they are by this like stressful, uh, disorganized mess that's in their yard, right? And then they come home to your work and are just so enthralled and and relaxed by just the colors, the scents, the the visual aesthetics and the structures. Like, wow, man, that's that's seriously so flipping beautiful. Like, thank you for the work you do. That's so cool. And I'm so happy for you that you've like turned this landscaping into a real art for yourself. Like that's so flipping amazing, man. Oh, I love it, man. I, I love plants. I just love being in the garden. It's uh you know, especially living in the city, you kind of got to take your, you got to find your little hidden gardens and oases and, you know, you got to find that peace where you can in, in the chaos. And uh, it definitely, I love, I love being, plus, I think going back to where this all came from, I think for me, just being outside all the time is huge. It's critical. Like I, I, we got, we had a snowstorm here you know, it wasn't crazy. wasn't wasn't really piling up on the grounds, but there was about an hour where I was outside pruning that I was in a blizzard, and it I just it felt so good, you know. And of course, you know me, I love the cold, so it's just uh, I was I was in heaven. It was just a beautiful day. Yeah, man, just like really connecting to outside and breath and water and uh it's just so amazing i love it so much uh and i totally agree with you you know i've gone from wildland firefighting full-time to you know focusing on on helping other people and and doing a lot more computer work than than i you know 
would say that I love, you know, and it's, uh, it does have an impact. You know, I, I do have to focus on, I got to go get outside today. I got to do something outside before I lose it. Like, how can I serve other people when I'm like, you know, stuck inside all the time? It's definitely, it does have an impact going from, you know, these crazy fires, two week assignments, being camping, going outside, you know, all flipping day to computer work. It's really interesting. And, um, finding that balance is, is so important. And, and I feel like I'm starting to really understand people's psychology, like so much better and, and being, you know, stuck in the cubicle, stuck in the, the commute every day. And just having that constant like nervous system injury of all directions, you know, the phones, the Facebook, the, uh, TV, you know, the traffic, the horns, you know, honking. Um, it's just like, everything's so bombarding. And honestly, I think one of my favorite things in the entire world, besides like snowboarding down some crazy, like powder face that just makes you smile. Like, honestly, the best thing are float tanks. Like the float tank is unbelievable. Best flow state ever. I think for me, I've only ever experienced it once, and I couldn't agree more. I need to get back in so bad. I'm actually thank thank you for reminding me because I, uh, I yeah, it, it was stunning. It's you know I was a little nervous. You know, it's almost it's almost like the first time you decide to do a psychedelic. You're kind of like I don't know what this is gonna be like, or I get the same feeling like when I go camping by myself, which is not something I ever did when I was younger. And the first time I went on like a backpacking trip by myself, I had that same, that same level of like nervousness about like, oh, I actually don't know myself that well. You spend your whole life with people and, and, and stimulus. And I've even met people that when I tell them I went and did a float tank, they like, it's almost like I told them. I don't know. I mean, they would rather, I know people that don't do psychedelics would rather try acid than do a float tank. Cause it makes them so uncomfortable. Just the thought of being silent alone in the dark with yourself terrifies people, which is kind of shocking when you, when you think about it. And I even had a little bit of that when I first went in, but man, I haven't felt, I've, I literally hadn't felt that good in years. And, and it was intense. I mean, you know, you talk about breath work, doing breath work in that situation sends you into other dimensions. If you know what you're doing, I mean, it's really impressive. Yeah, dude. So, uh, I got two stories here. So, so I think this really captured me is, is this thought of being alone and, and the first time. I went backpacking alone. It was in the Tetons and, you know, I hiked up like maybe, you know, hiked up elevation wise, like four or five, 6,000 feet up way up into the mountains at the crest of the Tetons. And I was like overlooking this huge basin on the Idaho side and like, you know, two or three peaks from Grand Teton is just like so powerful and so happy to be out there. And, and then the sun went down and I was like, oh shit, I'm by myself in the middle of the Tetons and there's bears everywhere. And honestly, man, I lost it. I seriously lost it. Like 
I packed up all my shit like in at like three in the morning. I threw it all my backpack and I ran to my car like 10 miles, like straight up. Like that was, you know, and I think that's like, that's the reality for a lot of people of like being alone is like impossible. Like, I don't know if they've ever been alone, like even since the womb, right? I think that's a lot of people's realities. And it's like, taking that moment to be by yourself and connecting with yourself is, is huge. And, you know, uh, to, to segue, like, I think, uh, you know, back to the float tanks thing was, oh man, I remember I called you one day, like, bro, sacred geometry, bro, no, that's it. Sacred geometry, you know? And, and I just got out of this float tank and I just, I was doing breath work. I was meditating. I was going through a lot of visualizations, a lot of deep spiritual work. And I just heard this overwhelming voice, sacred geometry. And it's just like, whoa, that wasn't me. Like, this is so crazy. And, and I've had so much sacred geometry, like in, in my visionary states and psychedelic states in pretty much my whole life. I've had this connection with sacred geometry and uh, it's finally starting to rationalize and come around for me that that one I have this amazing tattoo um, that has sacred geometry on it, and if I'm ever feeling scared or like if I'm ever having a hard time, I can just visualize like this this tattoo like unwrapping and becoming like sacred geometry all over my body, and I'm totally protected from everything, um, as well as. I've, I've also like had this feeling of like sacred geometry in my core of like the Merkaba of like these two, um, you know, for people who don't know the Merkaba, it's basically like two pyramids and one's upside down and they're overlapping to create this kind of star looking like 3d shape. And it's like this, this Merkaba is like, if I ever need energy, I can just start spinning it in my, in my abdomen, like this energy source. And it's just like so protecting and so powerful. And it's like, and, you know, recently I've been you know, working with, with more like spiritual guides and thing like things like that. And it's like the platonic solids are like really powerful for me are really, uh, connecting this, like, man, like that's a deep rabbit hole to go on. Like <laughs> sacred geometry, bro. <laughs> it's just, like so crazy. And that's, that's the float tank. Like Dude, that's, that's the float tank. Yeah, man. My, like I said, the only time I went in there, I had many different, you know, many different weird, feelings and trippiness like there was a one point where i lost all concept of my body and i literally became a disc galaxy it was rotating you know like that sort of thing happens in a float tank but the most profound thing for me was because i went in again and i feel like i went in a little too rigid i had an idea of what i wanted and i was trying to do a certain type of work with my breath and meditation but I was doing it too rigid. And so I wasn't really having, I wasn't getting anywhere because I was pushing too hard. So, so finally I let go and I just started making noise. And next thing I know, I'm like humming and chanting. And then I started like kind of making almost like whale sounds, just kind of just not intentionally they weren't supposed to be whale sounds i was just making noise and listening to how the noise like the vibrations of my chest affected the water and all of a sudden i had this epiphany on how orcas communicate and how like whales communicate 
it just all of a sudden it was intuitive. I had this understanding and I started making these like orca sounds. And all of a sudden in my mind's eye, I was in these dark waters and orca just started swimming towards me out of the abyss, like right up to my face. I mean, it was clear as day, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a visual. It was like in my head, it was feeling, but in, and again, the kind of like what you were saying with, was how, how sacred geometry is your shield and and um you know i kind of have a similar thing but for me it's always been much more organic more kind of feral wild intuitive nature style and i've you know my whole life it's something i i kind of knew but going back into breath work one of the things i do when i'm feeling vulnerable uh is i start doing breath work but i imagine instead of like a macabre in my chest i have a dragon that lives in my chest and i do these breath works and i imagine that he's stoking a fire and and every time i do these breath works i breathe out it's stoking this fire and it's getting bigger and it's getting bigger and it kind of becomes this aura of protection and strength and the fire runs through my veins and i feel like a dragon I feel powerful and and that helps me you know when i'm feeling vulnerable and and again, with like the orca and, and the float tank, I just realized that that intuitive nature, the understanding of letting go and seeing the patterns and and listening to the sounds, it, it just it's really stunning what what float tanks can do for you, you know. And I've I've had some people, uh, again, tell me that they couldn't even imagine doing the float tank. And kind of real quick, like going back to your your camping alone story. I had a similar story where I was determined for my birthday to go on a solo backpacking trip. I was going to climb to the top of a mountain and eat mushrooms. And I hadn't tripped in almost a decade and I was really nervous about it. And I ended up not even like I, 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 I couldn't decide though. My indecision, my thought process was too tightly bound. It wasn't open and expansive to just be free and flow and so I couldn't decide if I wanted to trip in the rainforest or on the top of a mountain. And so I tried to do both. And I tried to bushwhack up the McAllister Glacier in North Cascades National Park. Like I Google Earth, found a route, went through, you know, deep, deep ancient cedar bogs up into this wilderness area. By the second night, I just was I was lonely. I was so lonely. I wanted to go home. I had four days and I ended up leaving on the second day after that first night. Same thing. I just, the first time I've been, I realized I don't think I've been alone for more than 24 hours since I was born, you know, in, in that type of fully alone. And, uh, but I do think it's important. I think it's, it's hard. And, and I think it's, people need to take it seriously though. If they, if they do, you know, solo retreats or be alone with their thoughts that they, they give it the, you know, respect it deserves. It's not something to do lightly, but it is something I think, everyone should do if they're trying to pursue a balanced healthy life for sure yeah man that uh that reminds me of uh one of my mentors right now i think a couple of years ago he did a uh oh gosh i can't remember the exact word for it but it's like a native american tradition where they basically dig you a hole in the ground they dig you a grave and you just lay down in the grave and they cover it up with like a deer hide and you just are Oof. in this grave, this hole in the <laughs> ground for three to four days with no water, no food. Um, 
maybe water. There might be like a gallon of water for you, but that's it. You're just alone in this hole in the ground. And like, he couldn't talk about it for, for like six months to a year. It was just like, yeah, I can't talk about that yet. It's like, yeah, that's, I can't even imagine. (laughs) I know. Right. Like that's, that sounds so amazing. Like so interesting. Like where, where do you journey to when you're alone like that and in that space and, you know, what's interesting, man, is, is, uh, no matter what we start with, no matter what we talk about, we end up on this same, uh, visionary psychedelic portion of the universe. It's really mm-hmm. interesting. Isn't it? Yeah. I mean, like I said, this is kind of where we've always gone, you know, you and I, you know, we sit down your front porch when we're six and we'd end up here, you know, talking before we even knew what psychedelics or shamanic journeys were we were just always kind of taught you know exploring you know we'd sit down and we'd talk and end up you know kind of turtles all the way down philosophy would just pop out of our heads you know like what if we're just what if we're just living on the back of a spider man and then you know all of a sudden you gasp and go but yeah but what if that spider is on the back of another spider (laughs) it was just all of a sudden we're now discussing infinite space time an infinite, you know, many worlds theory in metaphorical language as six-year-olds, you know, it's just, if it's, I think that's just where you and I have always been drawn. That's what we're, it's what, it's what we're here for is to explore that, that, uh, those boundaries. Oh man, that's so crazy. I, I think I remember that exact day. <laughs> yep. I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Yeah. What an awesome conversation, man. I I'm feeling pretty complete. How are you feeling? Is there anything you want to talk about? Uh, I would like to finish out with one other story real quick that I, uh, I think ties into what we've been talking about earlier, particularly in the beginning, but, um, you know, yeah, I just, I would just like to reiterate that getting out into the elements, I think is extremely important and not enough people do it because it's uncomfortable, but I think a lot of that uncomfort feeling is psychological. I, I so I was recently um, went on a clam dig with my dad out at the ocean. It's kind of a family tradition. We we collect razor clams, which is only during the winter, and it's you know it's winter on the Washington coast, which is a whole other animal. It's like when people think of a beach, you think of you know warm sand and sun, but Washington coast. I mean, the beach is half a mile long and it's just flat gray and it's cold and the fog rolls in it's a very eerie and beautiful place but i mean we were out there and it was one of the more intense clamming sessions because i mean it was at night it's low tide and there was 40 mile an hour winds sustained with pelting rain and the swipping up the sand the sand hits you in the face and it's just it's cold and in order to get these clams you're at the very edge of where the surf's going out so you're like in the surf just about and it's cold and it's dark and and I've never felt better in my entire life. Like I just I turn into a little kid, I start getting excited, I I get happy and I'm I just hold my arms out and just let the wind like rake across my body and it just feels so good. And my dad, you know, you know who my dad is. He's kind of a stubborn, tough old guy, but he just he just can't understand why I'm so excited about it. And I think that it's a psychological thing. And, and maybe I'm speaking at a turn, like maybe it's just me and this is my personal experience, but I do feel that there is benefit to be had in finding that joy in discomfort. 
because it, it, it ends up being like, yeah, it's not comfortable. I was soaking wet. There's sand hitting my face. It's cold. But I felt alive. I felt like if you accept that discomfort for what it is, it's just a reminder that you're a physical being in this plane of existence. You get you get that euphoria. You get giddy. You start laughing uncontrollably. And all of a sudden, it becomes the most beneficial, beautiful moment you've had in, in weeks. And uh, I think you can find that anywhere. You don't have to be at the beach. You know, that's an extreme example. You, but just going outside in the rain, you know, if it's raining, just go outside and take your hood off and let the rain soak your hair. You know, you kind of you get itchy. You, you get wet. You get uncomfortable. But those feelings are good. They're important. They, they help you. They, it's a flow state of its own. You're in the moment. You're there with that experience. And I think everybody needs a little more of that in their life, personally. Oh, man, that's really powerful. Like just thinking about that of just exploring the boundaries really of comfort and discomfort and finding that boundary and just exploring it in the moment, man. That's That sounds so flipping cool. Yeah. But so, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about this conversation, man. I'm glad you glad you have me on again man. love, love doing this. I'm glad you're doing it, man. I really appreciate it. Really. You know, I'm proud of you, man, what you're doing for people. And, you know, it's helped me a lot as well. Just knowing you're out there and kind of, it's like that breath work. It reminds me that I, I got some work to do. You know, if I'm feeling stressed that I can change that. Oh man. Thanks. That means a lot. And uh, such a amazing conversation today, like every single time we get together. And yeah, we got to get you back on here in the next couple of weeks or next month sometime. And, and yeah, do this again, because this is so much fun. And where can people find you and your business? Um, so I, I, I don't do a whole lot um, on the uh, social media or anything like that, but I do have a website, um, you know, if you're in the Seattle area. Uh, greenheronsustainable.com my uh, business is green heron sustainable garden services and uh, i have an instagram and a facebook uh, i'm not very active on those but yeah green heron sustainable is where you can find me and uh, yeah if you're seattle area and you need someone who really cares about gardening and, and creating beautiful ecologically balanced uh, green spaces um come come find me Awesome, brother. And uh, yeah, we'll uh, talk to you next time. And and you can find me at Thomas M. Worm on Facebook and Mountain Mind Tricks on just about all the social media and mountainmindtricks.com. And thank you so much for listening to Two Soul Brothers just talking it out. And, uh, you know, I encourage you all to just go out there, go outside, do some breath work, find your flow state, and just find your sacred ancestry. All right, we'll talk to you next time.